To episode 23 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete, and I am flying solo this week. Uh, that was not our intentions. Uh, we were actually going to have a guest on, a very exciting guest, who I'm not going to tell you about, but hopefully we'll bring him to you in the future. Uh, I was actually not going to be on this week's podcast at all. Uh, Eric and Garrett were going to take over for me. I had a, another engagement the night that they were recording. And unfortunately, through a multiple cascade of technical glitches, they were not able to connect with our guest and didn't end up with a usable audio track. So I feel bad for them because they went through the whole process of recording a podcast and had nothing to show for it. Originally, I was just going to tell Jeff that we weren't going to have a podcast this week, but I figured, hey, take a couple minutes and at least have something so that we can connect with you guys. This past week on the Hooniverse was the Project Car State of the Union series, which was extremely cool. My bikes were there. Cameron Vanderhorst guest, uh, guest starred, guest hosted, guest wrote. And uh, even though he's not a member of the staff, uh, talked about his Harley Sportster. But uh, even the car stuff, uh, go check out everybody's projects. Very, very cool collection of articles on what people are doing. And it it really helps you understand what it really takes to uh, create and finish a project car when you're just an average guy and you don't have... You know, uh, your own hot rod workshop like you see on all the shows on TV where a guy in three weeks creates this whole custom car because that's his job. When you're trying to do it and you have a wife and kids and a day job and a mortgage to pay and uh, other vehicles that may be breaking down while you're trying to work on your super cool project car, race car, hot rod, whatever it is. Not always as easy, and it takes a lot of dedication to not throw up your hands halfway through, give up. As for my bikes, you can read all about my CL125 and Boltakenstein on there. Uh, you can also read about a very, very long, involved account of everything I've done with Boltakenstein on CafeRacer.net. I'll put the link in our post for this week. As I mentioned a couple times to Garrett and Eric in past episodes, I've been kind of thinking about an, another addition to the garage. And right now my wife doesn't have a two-wheeler. She's only got her Can-Am Spider RT. And she's been saying on and off, you know, I'd really like to have something with two wheels just to kind of stay proficient and be able to get out. So we were looking at something that we might want to share as something a little bit bigger than a 125 and uh, as something that actually exists in reality, unlike the Boltaco. And I found a bike that's one of my bikes that I have always liked, and I think it's underrated, and I was really excited about it when I saw it. Showed up a couple weeks ago, and then it it uh, 
showed up again in another ad with a lower price, so I knew the guy was kind of soft on price. It was a CX650 Custom. It was only made 1983 was the only year. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the CX series, in, I think it was 78, Honda came out with the CX500. Uh, it's called the Plastic Maggot by most people. Not a very loved motorcycle until recently when it's kind of become uh, a little bit more popular with a lot of, uh, I won't say hipsters, I will say younger generation people. Uh, even though it's kind of a not great handling, not very powerful, uh, very difficult to rebuild motorcycle. It has become more popular because it is a V-twin and it does have some character to it. It's not quite the character of a Moto Guzzi or something like that, but it's a transverse. Uh, I think it's not a 90 degree. I think it's an 80 degree V-twin. Okay bike, but not great. And they did have some reliability problems with them. Well, for 1983, they came out with 650s. Now, if you'll, you may remember that in 1982, they had the CX 500 Turbo. 1982 was the last year of the 500, and they came out with the turbocharged version. The next year, they came out with a 650 version of that engine for the 650 Turbo, the what was the GL 500, kind of the mini Goldwing version. They came out with this GL 650, uh, Silverwing, excuse me. It was called this GL 650 Silverwing, and it was available as a stripper and as a as a interstate style full dress mid-size touring bike and then in 1983 they also came out with the cx650 custom a one-year only model so in 1983 yours truly was a pfc in the u.s army I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, and I was riding a Honda MB5 as my only form of transportation, which I bought with my first paycheck as soon as I had gotten to my permanent duty station. After several months of that, I was ready to step up to something nicer, bigger, went into the local Honda dealership in Tillicum, Washington, and uh, looked around at what they had. And the three bikes that I considered buying were an XL600R dual sport, big enduro bike, a Honda CBX. They had a bunch of them in the warehouse, and they were blowing them away at ridiculously low prices. I can't tell you what the price is now, but given what they went for originally, it, it was they were selling them for like two-thirds of the original MSRP. And uh, that was seemed like a really attractive way to get a really cool bike. And the third one was a Honda CX650 Custom. Well, I ended up going with the XL600R because it was, I believe, the cheapest of the three. And it, riding it around on post, I figured, you know, it would be the most maneuverable for the kind of riding I did. Might want to take it off-road. Yeah, that was that was what I went with. But I have always kind of regretted that I never got a CX650 Custom. Well, on Craigslist, several uh, weeks ago, I saw this ad. And it was, you know, good condition. The pictures looked pretty nice for as good as pictures on Craigslist can look. There's always that Craigslist picture factor where everything looks better than it is until you go to look at it. And then you're like, wow, okay, how did how did that picture look so good when this is so crappy? But anyways... I uh, 
I was very interested. And once the guy started bringing his price down, I was even more interested. And I thought, now is my time. Now is the time in my life when I will finally get that CX650 custom that I wanted. But I was a little nervous because it was a one-year model. The 650 motors had almost no parts in common with the 500. It was it was a clean sheet design that looked almost exactly like the CX500 motor that they made for multiple years. But this one year, it's a Weird Alice motor. They didn't sell a whole lot of them and they were gone at the end of the year. So I thought, hmm, I'm wondering about parts availability. I've heard some people say that, you know, especially one-year models, once they get to be 20, 25 years old, you can't find stuff. So I decided I would go out and look uh, on one of the OE sales websites where you can pull up an electronic microfiche of all the parts for them and look them up online I, I was specifically looking for things that commonly fail as bikes get older, you know, the kind of things that really do break and that would either be too worn on a salvage bike, you know, things that wear out. So if you went to a junkyard, you're going to find one as worn out as what you've got or uh, electronic parts that are a crapshoot to buy off eBay because you don't know whether they work or not until you plug them in. Went through the list. Cam chain tensioner, obsolete. Cam, obsolete. Rocker arms, obsolete. Water pump, you can get the seal, but the impeller, which on these particular bikes tended to corrode and uh, get messed up, obsolete. The carb slides on a lot of CV cards, including the ones on the CX650, uh have a rubber diaphragm built into the carb slide that you cannot replace without replacing the whole unit. And those rubber diaphragms get old with time. Those also obsolete. As far as electronics, ignition sender unit, obsolete. CDI unit, obsolete. Um, I looked up a couple of other things, obsolete. There are no parts available for this bike. And unfortunately, it wasn't that popular that there's a whole bunch of them out there to scavenge off of. And those that are out there, things like cam chain tensioners with, unfortunately, on these bikes, did it was an automatic cam chain tensioner. And every once in a while, they would just blow up and take out your cam chain or maybe not. But you at least needed to replace the tensioner. Those you cannot get. And if you get one out of a junkyard, it's going to be ready to go as well. So I was really dejected when I looked at this. While I was out doing this research, I happened to go through and dig out, locate a copy of the October 1983 copy of Motorcyclist magazine that has a test of the CX650 custom in it. And I shouldn't have done that because it just made me more sad reading what they said about it the seating position is almost perfect uh the engine is a really great engine the 650 was such an improvement over the 500 where the 500 was kind of a dog and you know kind of a tin mouse trap the 650 was a much more robust because it was designed specifically for handling the pressure of a turbo for the 650 turbo so it it just made me incredibly sad. And I realized uh, I was talking with a couple friends of mine and one of them said, wow, 
he's my age and remembers when this was a new bike and said, it's really hard for him to grasp that this was a third of a century old motorcycle. And the fact that it was only made one year is really the thing that just damns it. Not something, and it's not a classic. It's not like you could go make parts for it as needed because at the end, you're still going to have a 1983 Honda CX650 Custom, which is a Japanese cruiser. It's not going to be worth that much effort. So I kind of had re- have resigned myself to the fact that the window for me to own and enjoy one of these motorcycles has pretty much closed. Because if I go out and I spend what this guy wants for this bike, it could be a doorstop tomorrow. It could truly be something that I spend my money, I ride it for six weeks, six months, a year and a half, something goes, and I literally cannot correct the parts that are wrong with it. So... I, I was kind of disappointed about that. Uh, as I was reading this article, and I was just about on the verge of tears, talking to my wife about She said to me, you need to remember, they were writing in 1983. Good for that time. When they talk about, yeah, the brakes, uh, you know, it had a single disc front brake. It was good for 1983. It wasn't state-of-the-art then. It certainly wouldn't be state-of-the-art now. The seating position, yeah, probably still really nice now. But as far as power and carburetor, you know, now there's fuel injection and the engines just run smoother and they're, they fuel so much more precisely and stuff. Would I really be that impressed with it now? And I thought that was a really good point she brought up. And it's probably a question that will never get answered for me. But I started thinking about another bike that, uh, I've talked about a lot that I've had a lot of affection for, and that's the GT750. The GT750 is a little different. It's older, but it was made for six years, and a lot of the parts that it had were in common with other two-stroke Suzukis at the time. So, yeah, there's actually a lot of parts for that one you can still get. In talking about parts availability, over time, even if you find something in good condition, those parts are still going to be, you know, 40 years old. So... I had to admit to myself, I probably will never get a GT750. I had one. It was a project that never really got to where I should have had it. Uh, never got to enjoy it and ride it as much as I wanted. A project that I never got around to doing right and finishing. So I get, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed about that. Those of you who listen regularly will recall probably five, six sessions ago that Garrett was saying... He's not as interested in old bikes because he just wants to get on something and have it work and not constantly have to deal with mechanical problems. And I think that's a really valid point. And my wife was kind of saying the same thing of just find something new that works or relatively new, you know, within the last 10 years, maybe five years, low miles, still in good shape, something that hasn't been left outside and go enjoy it without having to have this whole another layer of commitment to keeping something up that's falling apart. And so we were looking at what we might want to get that is new or at least newer or newish. And uh, my wife has, as I mentioned, has had bad knees. Anything that's got rear sets with the foot pegs under the seat so that you're riding it like a horse and your legs are bent at more than 90 degree angles. Uh, 
not really something that she can do. It's not just that she doesn't want to, or her legs just can't handle that. And she is fairly flexible about what she wants performance wise, but it's, it's gotta be something comfortable for both of us. So we looked at everything from, uh, as small as a, uh, Suzuki Savage or S40 as the new version is called a 650 single, which is under 400 pounds. Not really something comfortable out on the highway, but would be nice in town. Not a lot of power, but neither of us are, we're old people. We're, we drive like old people. So pushing the edge of the envelope, as I've said before, is not something I'm really into anymore. I've had enough close calls that I'm trying to drive defensively and stay well within the performance envelope of whatever vehicle I'm in. Uh, looked at the Vulcan S. The new Kawasaki Vulcan S 600, 650, excuse me. Nice bike. We really liked it. And then we sat on a CTX 700N. If you will recall, when we had our best bang for the bike episode, that was one of the ones I named saying the 2014s and 2015s are still in warehouses and they are being ridiculously discounted. Well, not at my local dealer. But if you know the right dealer or you're willing to have something shipped to you, you can find these at really nice prices. Like sub $5,000 prices, $2,000 lower than they originally went for. So she got on it and she was like, wow, this is really comfortable. I like where the the foot pegs are. I, I like the handlebars. It's comfortable. It's got a decent seat on it. I really like this. And... The CTX 700 is not the most attractive motorcycle in the world, but there is something about it I find a bit endearing. So I, we started talking and I said, well, would you want to have the N, the naked version, or would you like the version with the uh, frame mounted fairing on the front and a little windshield? And you could get a taller touring windshield with that one. If you want it, you can get saddlebags for it. And we went back and forth and she said something to me, which I think was really interesting. She said, it would bother me not being able to see the front wheel as you, which is true. If you have a, a frame mounted fairing, as you turn, you, you can't actually see where your wheel is contacting the ground. You have a fairing in the way that's mounted to the frame. So it's not going to turn with your front wheel. And she said, I, I think that might, I might find that a little disconcerting, disconcerting. And I thought that was a really good point. So we were thinking about the naked version, which I'm not opposed to. I like naked bikes. Uh, I'm not a big, as I've said, not thrilled about sitting behind a windshield. And I started thinking about the DCT ABS version. As you know, I'm a big proponent of ABS, I think it's a great, great safety feature. I would love to have it on my next bike. On this particular bike, the ABS is only available with the DCT dual-clutch automatic transmission. That would have been six months or a year ago a deal-breaker for me, but I have read so many things about the DCT, and I have... Uh, a good friend of mine that I've mentioned several times who is a longtime riding buddy of mine. I've vacationed with him. I've ridden all over the country with him. Uh, 
one of my favorite people and one of my most respected riding advisors bought a DCT Africa Twin, and he said it is the real deal. It, every once in a while, it does a little bit of unusual behavior. It's taking him some time to get used to, but he says overall, just absolutely loves it. It, it really works. So I'm thinking, hmm, okay, maybe I want to go with the DCT ABS version. The problem with those is that they're more money. They're not languishing in warehouses quite as badly as the manual non-ABS version. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see on that one. Now, however, while I was investigating DCT transmissions, I began binge-watching all the YouTube test rides and videos about the MN4 Voltus, which is... Very similar. It's the same drivetrain as the DCT ABS version of the CTX 700, but it's got very, very different bodywork. It looks, everybody calls it the bat bike or the bat cycle. It's got very unusual fairing up front with a low windshield. It's got a kickback cruiser riding position, but the passenger seat flips up to become a backrest. And everybody who's ridden this thing with the backrest up says the ergonomics just plain work. It's very comfortable. It's got a great seat. It's got saddlebags that look big and are tiny inside. It's got tiny little oddly shaped pockets in the fairing. So that it's not a perfect motorcycle. It's got some really weird things like the dash lights it's got for the transmission. Manual drive sport and neutral modes the lights around and behind the gauges change color which you can customize what color goes with what mode but it changes the color of the dash to let you know what you're in which is kind of weird it's weird but it's got not the greatest ride in the world but it's comfortable enough great ergonomics and it's a fairing that is low enough that you still get some straight, non-turbulent air at your helmet, which is real important to me. That's something I like. I don't like having a windshield in front of my face, and I don't like having turbulent air off the top of a windshield that's slightly below my face, rocking my helmet all day long. That's that gets really tiring. So I, I, they're ten grand. They're I think actually eleven grand was list price, but you can find them for ten grand at dealers around the country right now. I would love to get a Voltus, an MN4, even though it's this really weird thing that the scooter guys think are motorcycles. Motorcycle guys say it's a scooter. It's just this odd duck of futuristic kind of Akira-looking shapes and riding position. And I didn't like it when it came out. I didn't like it at all until I started watching the reviews on it. And the more I watched people talk about how unexpectedly good it was, the more I, I don't know if I could see myself buying one just because of the price and things like the impractical saddlebags, which you can't put a whole lot more than a six pack in. And the fact that they're already there means you can't put accessory uh, replacement saddlebags on it because they're integrated into the bodywork. So... Would I buy one? I don't know if I'd spend ten grand on one. 
but I would really, really like to ride one. So I think that brings up a point of watch reviews. Don't just sit on a bike in the dealership and go, oh, this one like looks nice or that one doesn't look nice or look at it even worse in a magazine and go, I like it. I don't like it. As much as I badmouth the FZ10, the 2017 FZ10, I have been reading the reviews on it. I have been listening to people who've ridden them. And I have to say, everybody's saying it's a phenomenal bike. I might have to shelve my objections to the insect-looking front end on the thing and the weird lines of it just because it's such a good bike. And with that, I will wrap up this week because I've been droning on and on for 25 minutes now. Been listening back as I edit these and realize that I've been monopolizing the conversation in the last couple of episodes. And that was one of the reasons we were going to have Eric and Garrett do this without me this week. Now I've got a solo shot and you're just listening to me exclusively. In the coming weeks, hopefully we can do some more episodes with just them because they're both very knowledgeable, great guys, and sometimes I don't give them enough time to talk. So, listen for that. In the meantime, on Friday's Camden Tubbed podcast, on Monday, I believe it's Monday, yeah, Monday, the Big Daddy original Hooniverse podcast with Jeff Glucker and some of his buddies out in California, recorded live in a studio with people actually looking at each other, unlike some of our other podcasts, and the new DFL podcast, which Brad from Camden Tubbed does now. It's a brand new one that covers motorsports. If that's your thing, tune in there. He's very knowledgeable, very passionate about motorsports. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on Twitter, uh, the false neutral and universe.com of course until next week take it easy and hopefully there'll be more of us next time you tune in so long so long